So let's begin by generating our motivation. So lots of times people may ask us for advice. They may have had upsetting things happen in their life and they're looking for uh, help on how to see the problem and also how to deal with it. So we have to be very skillful and give a reply that is suitable for that person's level of understanding. So it isn't like there's one right answer that we give to everybody or that we give them the highest answer according to highest class tantra. But we really tune in to how the person thinks and what will actually help them. So to do this requires that we slow down a bit and that we uh, have our mind open because when our own mind is full of judgments about their problem or opinions about what they said or upset at what they're, how they're behaving or whatever, yeah, when we have something going on in our mind in response to others' question, then it's difficult for us to really tune in to what that person needs. Yeah, the self-centered thought makes it so that uh, there's no space in our mind to consider how another person looks at the world. So this is just one example of a situation where our mind gets overcrowded with ruminating thoughts and then interferes with our Dharma practice and with actualizing our highest spiritual aspirations. So we need to be attentive and catch these things when they happen and then bring our mind back to a mind of love and compassion, a mind of bodhicitta aspiring for full awakening, not only for ourselves but also for others. And so may we generate that precious bodhicitta again and again and act out of it again and again. So may this be our motivation this evening.
announce. I just want to make one clarification before we start. Uh, Last week when I mentioned uh, dream objects and uh, objects in meditation like the bones, the universe being filled with bones, uh, I did not, I don't know what I said, but I was not, I did not mean to say that these things were imperceptible forms. They're not. But they are like imperceptible forms in that they are objects of a mental, of the mental consciousness. Okay? And I was saying that they're similar in that, you know, you could say, see that there's like a form that's being created by the mind in some way. So that's all I meant. Okay, so tonight we're on page 303 in the section called Purifying Destructive Karma. Okay, so we're all good at creating destructive karma. We're all good at going, ay, 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 what did I do? And I don't really want to experience the result of that. And so this uh, section is telling us what to do in that case, okay? So it's a a very, I think, helpful section of the text. I know for myself, I had never thought much about purification before I met Buddhism. Um, You know, there was, I don't know, never thought of it. Uh, But then once I, I learned about it, um, I just felt this strong feeling like, oh, I want to do that. You know, this is something important. I want to do some purification. So I don't know where that thought came from, but it, it was something quite strong. And, um, and I think, you know, from these practices, that the, the purification practices, they're really very helpful. Uh, not not only spiritually for clearing away obstacles, but psychologically and emotionally for um, uh, making peace with our lives, making peace with what's happened with other people. Um, They're very good for getting us back on track when our ethical conduct has gone off base. Yeah, so when we've done something and uh, that we really feel badly about, and just instead of sitting there feeling badly about it and then trying to rationalize it and justify it and make some way, you know, for us to say, no, that wasn't really so bad to do, I think it's much healthier just to say, yeah, I regret doing that. You know, it just was not a very a uh, skillful, benevolent action, and I regret it, and I'm not going to try and make excuses or justify it. And then you do the purification practice, and then you can really let it go. Yeah, because you've looked at it clearly. and You've made amends, and then you let it go. You don't need to sit there and 
go around and around in your own mind. Oh, I did that. How could I have done that? What did they think of me? And I don't want anybody to know. And this is so terrible. And they say, I'm going to go to the hell realms, but I don't want to go to the hell realms. But do I really believe in the hell realms? And, you know, when when I was, uh, I don't know the whole thing about hell realms. It's so confusing. Why don't they just go away? I mean, that's why I left the religion I grew up with anyway, because I was sick and tired of hell realms. And now I come to Buddhism and I get them again. And if I'm a Buddhist, I might go to Christian hells. And if I'm a Christian, I might go to Buddhist hells. And so the whole thing is just too much. Okay. So do you see, I mean, then, then the mind just goes off you know, on some kind of ruminating fit, um, you know, and, and there's no clarity in the mind at all, and we feel lousy, yeah, whereas when we just say, I did that, and I regret it, and I'm going to purify, then, you know, we don't feel lousy anymore. We, we've understood what we've done. We think about if that kind of situation happens again in the future, how else can I deal with it besides the way I did, which wasn't very skillful? Yeah. So how else could I look at that situation so that I could, you know, react in or respond in a very different way? Um, you know, because these kinds of things can happen multiple times, or similar situations can happen multiple times. So, uh, you know, it becomes an opportunity to, to look, to identify what the afflictions were that were at play, and then really think over what are the antidotes for those afflictions. Yeah, so if that situation happens and those fl- afflictions come up again, how am I going to look at the situation? Yeah. Because what so often happens is the affliction comes up and we don't identify it as an affliction. We just think it's reality and we go whole hog following it. Yeah. And then maybe later after a while we go, oh, that was an affliction. Uh, Oh, but what do I do with that affliction? And all of the Dharma teachings we've heard are out of our mind, you know? We don't even think about them. Yeah. And we go, oh, yeah, I was so angry. What am I supposed to do to, to deal with anger? Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. I'll write to somebody and ask them, because I'm too lazy to look it up in a book. And I certainly didn't remember it. So, uh, you know, it, uh, it doesn't matter if I disturb somebody else and ask them for the tenth time how to handle anger. Um, and, and then you get the, the antidote, okay, you know, think about how that person's suffering and try and understand their situation. And you go, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, face it, antidotes are the exact opposite of what we're thinking. And they're the exact opposite of what we want to do, you know, because what we want to do is follow our self-centered mind. And the antidotes are against the self-centered mind. So we hear the antidote, and our self-centered mind says, no, thank you. 
I don't want to think like that. I don't want to act like that. Yeah. And then, you know, then we get stuck again, don't we? Okay. So it's a process, this one, of learning to, uh, to, under, to identify the afflictions, identify the non-virtuous actions, and then remember an antidote, and enjoy applying the antidote, instead of going, oh, I really have to think about their suffering, because they made me suffer so much. And then we're often running about, you know, what they did to us. Uh, again, creating more and more non-virtue. Yeah, sound familiar? So, this is the way to kind of uh, solve that problem. But we have to remember it. Okay, so with only a superficial glance, we may believe our actions are basically virtuous. Yeah. I mean, when I met the Dharma, I thought I was a really good person. You know, I was really upset that, you know, all these politicians lied. But I didn't lie. Or, or when I did, it was actually for a good reason. You know, it wasn't, my lies weren't harmful. They, it wasn't like what the government was doing. And, um, you know, I, I was just okay. And if only all these other people would be nicer to me, my life would be a lot better. <laughs> okay, uh, so I was in for a big awakening, you know, like, what did they do, that fundraiser where they pour a, a bucket of ice water over your head? So, yeah, so it was like that, and it was like... Oh, I have a problem with anger. I also have a problem with attachment. I have eighty, all 84,000 afflictions. Oh, you know, this is serious business. I better do something about it. Okay. So no matter how many other Dharma topics I would have doubts about, this one thing... I could never think of a reason to abandon. I, I don't know if you have that too. One Dharma topic that you are completely convinced in. So when your mind has doubts about other things, you go back to that one thing and you say, this is true. I know this is true. And the Buddha taught it. He knew what he was talking about. So I'm not understanding this other stuff. I have doubts about it. That's okay. But I know this is true. And I'm going to anchor myself in that. So that was the thing for me that I anchored myself in. It's like, oh, my mind has afflictions. <laughs> and, oh, afflictions make me unhappy. And they make me do things that make other people unhappy. Oh, you know, and there's no way... I could get out of believing that. You know, I tried. <laughs> but there was no way that I could convince myself otherwise th than that. So that became a really good anchor for me. 
you know, when I learned other topics that I didn't understand so well, it's like, okay, just leave those there. Let's come back to what I know for sure and what really helps me right here and now in my life. Okay. So with only a superficial glance, we may believe our actions are basically virtuous. But if we closely observe our physical, verbal, and mental activities, we may find that our motivation for constructive action, uh, our, our motivations for s- constructive action, are often weak. The actions are done hurriedly or distractedly, and forget, we forget to dedicate the merit. This sounds like me. Okay. You know, you wake up in the morning and, and you you set you know, you set up your altar and it's kind of, you know, you're half asleep when you're doing it. Yeah. And your mind's thinking, what shall I offer today? Because tomorrow I'll get to eat it. <laughs> yeah. Then we do it hurriedly or distractedly. We just take the offering and put it there. And, uh, and then we forget to dedicate the merit. Yeah, because we're on to the next thing. So constructive actions require much effort on our part, like a tired donkey carrying a heavy load uphill. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, isn't it? When you do a, a constructive action, it's really like that donkey kind of like, oh, I gotta get up this hill somehow. And yet, it's nothing physically taxing. It's nothing that is overtly physically suffering, you know, or even mental suffering. But somehow our mind just cannot rise to the occasion. <laughs> Yeah. Whereas if you say hot chai, the mind perks up. Yeah. On the other hand, when faced with circumstances in which acting negatively could bring immediate benefit to our selfish aims, we easily engage in destructive actions like water flowing downhill. And this is what we see also in the political situation. You know, people are parroting all sorts of wrong views because they think it will make them popular or get them reelected. It's called selling your soul to the devil. Yeah? And for me, that's what this sentence means. For immediate selfish aim, that's what we do, you know. And we just give way to, you know, what whatever seems pleasurable at the moment. Yeah, I I knew somebody who, um, uh, in her work, she was often with this one man and on business trips and things like that, and, uh, you know, he was married and had kids. And, you know, at one of these business trips, da-da-da-da-da, you know, they had sex. And, you know, and she came to tell me about it, and she felt 
part of her felt really bad because she broke a precept, and part of it, part of her enjoyed it, you know. And I was thinking, wow, you know, the mind is so cluttered and confused by, oh, I feel regret for breaking a precept, but I don't really regret doing that because it felt good. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, how would I deal, you know, if even uh, not the old me, because the old me probably would have done what she, what she did, but <laughs> how I'm thinking now, if I were with somebody like, like that, I would say, you know, what are you doing cheating on your wife and on your family? And you expect me to trust you when you act that way towards people you've made promises to? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not what she said to him, of course. <laughs> but I was thinking, uh, you know, how, how would you handle different situations and not just follow what felt good at the moment, what pleased the self-centered mind at the, at the moment? Yeah. And so it's, you know, it, that can take effort. But again, it's not even physical effort. Yeah. It's, in fact, it's less physical effort if you don't have sex than if you do. Yeah. So, yeah. But I was thinking, you know, that's destroying somebody's family. You know? And... Yeah, it destroys the, the marriage. And the, chi- the children, the young children, what happens to the kids when dad does that? You know? It, it's, it's not nice for the kids. Okay. So we have strong habits with such behavior from previous lives, don't we? Understanding this, mindful observance of our ethical standards and purification of past misdeeds becomes imperative to avoid pain and to secure happiness. So the sutra showing the four dharmas. I was so happy to uh, find a sutra that actually lists the four opponent powers because I had studied these for years and years and I had never heard a sutra quotation from it. So I was so excited to find this. So that sutra reveals an excellent practice for purifying all destructive actions, the four opponent powers, which were described briefly in chapter six. Yeah. Which we can't remember anyway. Uh, What was chapter six about? It was about, uh, I think it was about death and and rebirth. What? Oh, was it that? Yeah, a structure of meditation practice. Okay, so doing purification in your practice. Yeah, see, we can't even remember. And I wrote this. I can't remember what chapter it's in. So, my, uh, I guess it's the Buddha speaking, 
And he says, Maitreya, when a bodhisattva mahasattva possesses these four powers, they will overcome any negativities they have done and accumulated. Remember, negativities done and accumulated? Yeah. What are they? They are the power of regret, the power of the antidote, the power of resolve, and the power of reliance. So I've heard the four opponent powers described in, in several different orders. And in different practices, they come in different orders too. Okay? So, for example, in most practices, the power of reliance comes first because you take refuge and generate bodhicitta first. Okay? Then you have regret. Then you have the antidote. Then you make a resolve to avoid it in the future. Okay? But here, it's a different order. So first, learn to accurately assess your actions. Accept responsibility for your misdeeds. Admit them and regret them. Strong regret is the key to purification, for without it, there is no motivation to counteract negativities. Regret is not guilt, so do not despise yourself thinking that the more you berate yourself, the more you atone for your misdeeds. Print that out and put it where you read it every day, okay? That needs to be remembered. So make an effort to understand how you became involved in these negativities, yeah? Instead of just, I was there and I did that and I don't understand it. It's like, go back and think about Okay, what was, where was I? What was going on in my mind? What was happening around me? What kind of thought did I have? Where did that thought go? What else changed in the situation that triggered other thoughts in my mind? And, and you know, so that you can get an idea, you can understand yourself, basically, you know, and get to know how your mind works. Okay. So reflect, was my interpretation of the situation accurate or was it skewed by my self-centeredness? That's a loaded question. You know what the answer is to that one? (laughs) Okay. My interpretation was not accurate and yes, it was skewed by my self-centeredness. What was my motivation? Yeah, what was, what was my intention in this whole thing? Do I engage in this action often? Is it a habitual one that I just slide into? Um, because that's how I always act, you know? And we have these emotional patterns and verbal patterns and physical patterns. And, you know, we're kind of like push-button dolls, you know, somebody says a certain thing and then out of our mouth comes this response because that's just how we respond to everything that sounds that way to us. Yeah? We don't even think about it. So we have to slow down like, okay, what's the thought that's motivating this? 
you know, and how often do I do it? And it's like, oh, yikes, I do it a lot. And I wasn't even aware of how often I did this. Did I rejoice afterwards? Did I say, yeah, I gave him a little bit of his own medicine, that beep, beep, beep. Yeah, rejoice. Then contemplate using your Dharma knowledge. How, uh, how, then contemplate using your Dharma knowledge how you could think about and deal with a similar situation should it happen in the future. Such in depth reflection will help you to uncover destructive emotional, verbal, and physical behaviors. And by understanding these, you can begin to change them. Okay. So can can you think of certain kind of reactions that you have habitually to certain situations? Anybody want to share? My very first reaction when um, somebody tells me to do something in a certain way, my very first reaction is to do the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to work with myself not to do that. (laughs) Or when I see someone who is um, behaving in a way that I find showy or, yeah, or not um, calmly, I... My first reaction is to do the opposite, so as to show them. <laughs> Anybody else? So if um, I'm planning on doing something, and somebody comes up just before I'm planning on doing it, and they tell me to do it, <laughs> I get quite angry. <laughs> So even though it was something you were going to do anyway, yeah, it's like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Um, if I'm very tired and I need a break, then my mind goes ahead and feeds attachment, like, you deserve it, or what the heck, we'll just do this for now. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It said gossiping. It's easy one to just go on and on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah, gossiping can be a big habit, can't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's something good to think about, you know, identify in ourselves. And I bet you we can help each other identify those things. <laughs> In Chapter 2 of Engaging in the Bodhisattva's Deeds, Shantideva proposes many points to reflect on that evoke our regret. If we were to die at this moment, the seeds of these harmful actions would be on our mind stream. So alarmed at the prospect of experiencing an unfortunate rebirth, we should regret our non-virtues and turn to the Three Jewels for guidance. One of the inmates uh, I write to just wrote me. I I just read his uh, letter before I came in here. 
And he was saying that he woke up in the morning and he uh, was thinking about death and hoping when he died that there would be some Dharma practitioners around him or that Dharma practitioners would know and would make prayers for him and guide him. Yeah. I thought that was amazing. He just woke up in the morning thinking about that and then he told me some other things he was thinking and then right away wrote to me. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he was having, you know, this was exactly the understanding that was coming to his mind of, you know, I'm going to die and I want to be able to die peacefully and I don't have a lot of confidence in myself yet, so I want some Dharma friends around to help me. But, you know, just the fact of thinking like that, I think, sets him up to uh, strengthen his own mind, yeah, so that he will keep the Dharma in mind when he's dying. Engaging in destructive actions out of attachment for friends and family is futile. Really? But that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah? To be a good family member? Yeah, I'm supposed to cover up when my family, other family members mess up. You know, lie. Well, not. it's not lying. It's... It's explaining the situation in a different way so that my other family members don't get in trouble. Yeah. That means I'm being good. I stick up for for the family. Yeah. And here they're saying, engaging in destructive actions out of attachment for friends and family is futile. Why? Keep reading the sentence. (laughs) Considering that we will have to separate from them and our destructive karma will continue with us into our next life. So doing negative actions, you know, to, for the worldly benefit of friends and family may make our friends and family approve of us more and love us more and like us more. However, you know, whatever comes together is going to have to separate. And when we separate, and especially when we die, the person I create the karma with doesn't come with me. But the karmic seeds that I created, you know, they come with me. And that just, you know the result of that destructive action I did is to be experienced by me, not by the people I did it for. So if I think ahead and consider that, then doing uh, actions out of attachment for friends and family is futile. If I don't consider that, then not doing things for, you know, for friends and family out of attachment seems like the wrong thing to do, you know, because that's what everybody does, isn't it? You're expected, we're expected to do that very often. 
Misdeeds bring frightening results in this and future lives. So this is no time to be complacent. In this way, express anger. So here's Shanti Deva. Regret. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I thought it. Well, yeah, almost the same number of lives. <laughs> okay, so express regret. Yeah, I'm glad you're listening. <laughs> um, since beginningless cyclic existence in this life and in others, unknowingly I committed negativities and caused them to be done by others. Overwhelmed by the mistakes of ignorance, I rejoiced in what was committed. But now, seeing these mistakes from my heart, I confess them to the protectors. The protectors are the Buddhas. Why are they called protectors? Because by teaching us the Dharma, we can practice it and protect our own minds. Okay, so since beginningless samsara in this life and in others, unknowingly I committed negativities and knowingly I also committed them. Yeah, and caused them to be done by others. I asked other people to do them too. Yeah, and then overwhelmed by the mistakes of ignorance. So the Ignorance here, especially in this context, the ignorance of karma, not being able to discern what is virtue and what is non-virtue. Okay? So being, having that kind of confusion in our minds, I rejoiced at what was committed. Yeah? I rejoiced at my own and others' negativities. But now, seeing these mistakes from my heart, not just from my mouth, I confess them to the protectors. Yeah? So I'm not hiding. Yeah? I'm being transparent. And I can be transparent because I am not ashamed. I, f I have regret for what I did, but I am not tormenting myself with shame telling myself I'm the worst person in the world and I don't want anybody to know what I did because then they won't think well of me. Okay? So I'm over my attachment to reputation and I just want to be honest with myself and especially in, in the presence of the Buddhas, to be honest with the Buddhas. Okay. So that's expressing regret. Then second, okay, so here we're going in the order in which the verse talked about them, okay? So the second, perform virtuous actions as an antidote to your misdeeds. Although all virtuous actions fulfill this, six practices in particular are recommended. So one, recite, study, or contemplate sutras especially the Perfection of Wisdom Sutras and the Sutra of the Golden Light. Okay. Two, meditate on emptiness by contemplating Nagarjuna's teachings or the Heart Sutra. So these are remedial actions to do. 
Three, recite mantras containing the names of the Buddhas, such as the Vajrasattva mantra. Okay, and reciting the names of the 35 Buddhas. And four, make Buddha images and statues, create altars and shrines, and build stupas or monasteries. Hmm. Okay, so this is, we're going to go and do an incredible purification practice building the Buddha Hall. Okay, five, making offerings to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. So this can be actual offerings. It can also be visualized offerings. Okay, and six, reciting the names of the Buddhas. For example, the names of the 35 Buddhas. Uh, So number three was reciting the mantras containing the names of the Buddhas. This this one's reciting the names of the, the Buddhas. Okay. So prostrating to these Buddhas with reverence for their excellent qualities while reciting their names is especially powerful. Meditation on bodhicitta, even for a few minutes, and engaging in actions motivated by bodhicitta have the power to purify the seeds of destructive actions created over eons. You remember when in Shantideva, He was talking about the benefits of bodhicitta and how strong it is in terms of uh, affecting purification. Because you're doing it for the benefit of all beings and you're aiming for the highest spiritual purpose. Then other remedial actions are making donations to charities, monasteries, or spiritual practitioners doing volunteer work in a hospital, dharma center, or other health facility, and printing dharma books for free distribution. That's something they do in Asia a lot, which is really a nice custom, I think. Okay, so it's basically any virtuous action. And, uh, you know, so people who, who do volunteer work Wherever you're doing volunteer work, well, not wherever. You don't want to volunteer for some organization. Don't volunteer for the Proud Boys, okay? Um, but, uh, you know, the other kinds of things. Then, uh, you know, you're offering service for, for an organization that is doing something beneficial. So you create a lot of merit doing that. Okay, then third, make a strong determination to abandon such actions in the future. So this fortifies your inner strength to oppose habitual destructive ways of thinking and acting and to change your ways. It is like making New Year's resolutions, only you should keep them. (laughs) Okay. So um, making a resolution to avoid something is, is quite strong purification because remember when we, we studied the results of negative karma, okay? One of the ones that was uh, concordant, there were two that were concordant with the action, and one of them was the tendency to do the action again. 
So that result is actually, of the three or four results, depending how you count them, is the most harmful result. You would think that taking a lower rebirth would be the most harmful result. No, the, the habitual doing of the action again and again is the most harmful one because you just keep creating more of the above, okay? So when we make a determination not to do something again, we're stopping that result from ripening. Okay, so this is also when we talk about precepts, yeah, being like a dam that protects us from from acting negatively. This is what precepts do. Okay, you're going in that kind of direction, and you with a precept, you're saying, "I've thought about this. I don't want to do that again." You know. And I know my tendency to just get involved and do that again. So I'm making a very strong pledge in the presence of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas not to do that. And the force of making that promise, which is taking a precept, okay, gives you the inner strength not to do it. Okay, And then by not doing it, you're purifying that tendency to do it again and and again and again. So you're actually saving yourself from creating more negative karma and experiencing more bad results. Okay. If you cannot resolve to abandon certain actions forever, resolve to avoid them for a certain period of time. During that time, be very conscientious to avoid the action. This will give you confidence, and then you can extend the time some more. Okay, so you have a a strong habit of gossiping. Yeah, so you say, okay, tomorrow I am not going to gossip. You make the promise for one day, okay? And then you keep it. And then at the end of the day, you go, oh, wow, you know, that really wasn't too bad. I didn't gossip for that day. And now I don't feel all crummy for the things I, negative things I said about other people. Yeah, so that's good. Let's try it for another day, okay? And so then you extend the time and you know, by doing it short times like that, then you gain the confidence that you can actually do that, or in this case, not do that action. Fourth, reestablish good relationships with the objects of uh, your destructive actions. Okay, it should say your instead of are there, if you want to note that. Okay, but the objects of your destructive actions, holy objects such as the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, or our spiritual mentors, or should be your spiritual mentors, um, or sentient beings. Okay, by taking refuge, we affirm our connection with the three jewels and our spiritual mentors. By generating bodhicitta, we replace the negative intentions that caused us to harm others with positive feelings towards them. 
Okay. So according, because they say there's two basic objects that we create negativities with respect to. One is the holy objects, one is other sentient beings. Okay. You know, I mean, I know at my job that I had in college, I used to kick the machine when it wouldn't work. But, you know, and so I create some negative karma with that machine. But... Uh, but you know, most of my negativities were were not with that sh- that machine. And actually, kicking it got it to work, which was good. Yeah, my boss was happy <laughs> because we were trying to do all the psychological testing, and we needed to do it exactly then. You know. Okay. Okay. And. Uh, So with bodhicitta, you know, when we harm holy beings, I mean, with refuge, then we reaffirm that we're seeking spiritual guidance from them and that we trust them. With other sentient beings, then we generate bodhicitta, which is completely transforming the mental state that motivated us to harm them in the first place. Okay. The order of the four opponent powers may vary according to the specific purification practice you do. In prostrations to the 35 Buddhas, first you take refuge and generate bodhicitta, then prostrate as the remedial action, followed by generating regret and resolve to avoid repeating the action. In the Vajrasattva practice, the order is taking refuge and generating bodhicitta, then having regret, reciting Vajrasattva's mantra as the remedial action, and resolving not to do it again as the, la- as the last one. As ordinary beings, we don't know where we will be reborn, and the time between this life and an unfortunate rebirth is one breath. If we don't purify our misdeeds and work hard to prevent an unfortunate rebirth before we die, it may be a long time before we have the opportunity to practice the Dharma again. Okay? So even you're born a kitty at the abbey or a dog in, you know, the monasteries in South India... Uh, still very difficult to to practice. Mm-hmm. You get positive imprints by hearing the sounds of the Dharma, but having any kind of intention, uh, difficult. It's important to do purification before the seeds of harmful actions ripen. Once a cup is broken, we cannot unbreak it. Similarly, doing pujas after a suffering result has occurred cannot undo the the present suffering, although it will create virtue that could reduce future suffering. The efficacy of the puja depends on a variety of factors, including the potency of the karmic seeds that are about to ripen. Okay, so when we purify, we're avoiding future suffering. Yeah, we may think, oh, I'm avoiding the suffering that already happened, but 
actually the suffering that already happened, you can't undo. If that suffering is something that's going to last a long time, you can, uh, by doing purification, shorten the time that it's going to last, and in that way, avoid the future suffering. Yeah, clear? Okay. Making specific predictions about the extent to which negativities have been reduced or eliminated is difficult and depends on many factors, such as the intensity of the regret, the sincerity of our resolve to refrain from repeating the action, the concentration with which we did the remedial behavior, and the sincerity of our refuge and bodhicitta. It also depends on whether we did the four opponent powers over a long or short period of time. Clearly, doing them again and again is going to make for a stronger purification. And it also depends whether all four opponent powers were applied or only some of them. Okay? So if you have regret, but you don't do any remedial behavior, uh, it's not you know, you haven't done a full virtuous action to to purify the the previous non-virtue. Although purification done by ordinary beings does not remove karmic seeds from the mind stream, it weakens them so that their result will be less intense or will last for a shorter period of time. Instead of experiencing a car accident, we may trip and stub our toe. Okay, so this is very good, you know, in the course of a day when you trip, when you uh, drink something that's too hot and burn your mouth, when, you know, somebody criticizes you or asks you to do something when you're about to do it. Um, You know, when these things happen to say, oh, okay, you know, this unhappiness is good. It's, it's, you know, taking the place of something that could be a longer, more intense suffering result. Okay? So if you think like that, then you don't get bummed out by what happened. Yeah? In fact, you can sit there and go, more, more. You know, how they say bodhisattvas, you know? Love when beggars come and ask them for things. Yeah, most of us run away from the beggars. But uh, bodhisattvas, oh good, somebody asked me for something. I have the chance to practice generosity. Okay, so to, to really, you know, learn to see things like that. You know, when you, you know, you have a sore throat, when you didn't sleep well the night before, when you know, you have aches and pains or whatever, then to just say, oh, you know, that was some kind of unhappy result that is the burning of some negative karma I did. And that karma could have been, you know, could have ripened in the hell realm or wherever else. And so uh, I kind of got off easy and that suffering is something I can endure and Let's go on. Okay. So that I found that something to be really helpful 
to think like that when stuff happens. Okay? Because it, it keeps you in a good mood. It prevents you from getting all bummed out and feeling sorry for yourself and upset for the other person and on and on and on. Okay? So um, one of my Dharma friends told me uh, this story. She was doing retreat at Copan, and uh, she had a big boil on her, on her uh, cheek. And during the break time, during between sessions, she was taking a walk, and she encountered uh, Zopa Rinpoche, and Rinpoche said, you know, how are you? And she said, I have this horrible, painful boil on my cheek, you know? And Rinpoche said, fantastic! That's so good! You know, this is what Rinpoche says, you know, whenever you're unhappy. Yeah, like, fantastic! And she's like shocked, you know? Huh? And, and he went on to explain that this was negative karma ripening and she should be happy about it because it could have ripened in some real horrible incident that happened to her. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a boil, yeah, it's painful, but you can go to the doctor and then it heals and life goes on. Yeah. So this is really very good, you know, because we sometimes, our small sufferings, we... Yeah, we definitely make mountains out of molehills, don't we? Okay. So instead of being born in an unfortunate, uh, rather than suffer from domestic disharmony for years, we may endure it for only some weeks or months. Instead of being born in an unfortunate state, we may fall ill in this life. Understanding this, we will not become upset when we fall ill or encounter unpleasant situations. Instead, we will think how fortunate that a powerful destructive karma is now ripening compared to the intense suffering I would have experienced for a long time had it ripened in an unfortunate rebirth. I can manage the current misery not that bad. It's not going to destroy me. Seeing the situation in this way protects our mind from creating more negative karma by angrily reacting to problems or by throwing a huge pity party. It enables our mind to remain unperturbed by this comparatively small suffering that will soon end. When we are sick, how can we apply purification practice, how to view it, and change our negative aspect of the mind? Yeah. Again, um, you, you, you know, you're sick, and instead of just paying attention to my stomach hurts and this hurts and that hurts, and then our creative writing mind going, I'm going to die from this, you know, like... Two years ago, I would have thought this was a cold, but now I know I have COVID. You know, for sure, I have COVID. I haven't even taken the test. The test, I have COVID. And, you know, in three days, I'm going to be on a ventilator. 
and I haven't even, you know, signed, done my will yet, so I better do that really quick tomorrow morning, you know, because I want to make sure that my old tennis shoes go to my best friend, you know, and, and, and then we, you know, we just get so upset um, and make up stories. And, and, but if you just say, okay, I have a stuffy nose, I don't feel well, this is the ripening of negative karma that I myself created, you know? Like maybe I, there was somebody else who was sick and I didn't take care of them. And this is the result of my action of, you know, negligence for, for not caring for somebody who was ill. And now I'm suffering the result. And, you know, I can manage during a cold. You know, I can manage. And you're going to say, well, what about cancer? What about kidney disease? You practice the same way. Yeah. You know, of course, it's your choice whether to practice or not. You know, and if we say, I don't want to think, oh, this is good because a negative karma is ripening. I'd rather just, you know, feel what I'm feeling. Well, fine, it's your choice. Be miserable. <laughs> yeah? If you really want to be miserable, go ahead. Yeah, that's another thing my mother used to say to me. Who's, who's marking down all these things? I'm going to write that, that book sometime, you know? Did your mother ever say that? You know, when you were acting just completely absurdly. Well, if you really want to be miserable, just go ahead and be miserable. See if I care. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we can... You know, we have two choices. We can be miserable or we can practice and, you know, give some meaning and purpose to that event so that our mind, uh, you know, feels uplifted. Okay, so we'll stop here and continue next week, hopefully. Thank mm-hmm. you.